What's the smoke signal for Hollywood? <laughs> Captain Barbosa, you know, you start out, he's a little salty, but at the end, <laughs> sweetie, he's a sweetheart. <laughs> we haven't even talked about uh, Will Smith. Uh, Will Smith. <laughs> I don't know how priests feel about that, but I'd imagine that they generally don't fall in love with mermaids. How old is the mermaid? <laughs> Welcome to Couchlock the Movie Podcast. It's time to swap the deck, you mangy bilge rats. Here is kind of what we're dealing with right now, okay? Okay. The year is 2003. Right. At the movie theater, we've got things like Finding Nemo. Elf, The Matrix Reloaded. We've got the fucking Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Like, was that around the, the same time? That's crazy. This is all 2003. Okay. Uh huh. Then, to top it all off, we get. The introduction to one of the largest franchises of our time, Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. Yo, I, I just got matey. chills. <laughs> I, I know, just got chills. It's, it's so like, I mean, we were both young kids at this mm-hmm. time. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy how many different age groups can be into it because like, especially looking back now and looking at the, what, like live action Disney is putting out now pirates is so mature for Disney. You know what I mean? Like, and Mm -hmm. it's so good. It's brutal. And the character designs like border on horror. It's awesome. But yeah, Yeah, I agree as a kid, there was just something that drew me to it. That was so the atmosphere is, is just, it's so unique and it made pirates cool. Like for sure. Right. Like, like it really just like took this genre by the fucking throat and uh, Jerry Bruckheimer was like I own this. I mm. make pirate movies, you know? <laughs> like <laughs> like nobody else uh, what other pirate what other pirate franchise could even stand in the shadow of what Pirates of the Caribbean I mean, I can't even think of another pirate franchise. It, and it is it's absolutely insane because you can tell that, uh, especially in The Curse of the Black Pearl, that this was just a a, a huge undertaking that was only going to be accomplished by people who, like, really, truly mm-hmm. cared about getting this movie made, you know? Yeah, they totally caught, like, lightning in a bottle with this first Dude. one. It's just so, it's, it's magic how good this movie turned out to be, and it is because of all of the love and care that put into it. Mm-hmm, yeah, I mean, we should talk about the guy kind of at the helm of the ship here. Ew. Should I say puns? <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> Gore, right? Gore Verbinski. So Homeboy is our director, and he he directed the first three movies. I feel like that's important because you can kind of like feel you could, that, right? You could tell, yeah. <laughs> you could <Yeah>. tell. <laughs> The other, the other two are just kind of like the ugly redheaded stepchild, you know. You don't. <laughs> hey, look, they've got, they've got some. I wouldn't call it okay. They're not the ugly, bit, you know. They're not the ugly redheaded stepchild. They're the handsome redheaded stepchild. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> well, at any rate, you know, we came in strong with Gore Ver- Verbinski, just like delivering this this giant epic and i think that's why it kind of like took the world by storm the way it did and it was supposed to be just a one one movie i know based off of a a disneyland ride Mm -hmm. like this this was the first time that disney adapted a ride to a movie right so well i think they did it they did it with uh like the critter bear country thing but apparently it was really bad I, i mean i never even saw it well, and that's, I mean, that was even kind of different. Like, that that was like a, like, the ride at Disneyland was like you sat down in a theater and animatronic bears 
saying songs. The the movie that came out from that was like a would have been like a way loose adaptation. Yeah, for sure. What you experienced at at Disneyland, Pirates of the Caribbean though is like very heavily influenced by the ride and well that's kind the ride of has interesting even gone back and updated to match the movie yeah well and the ride is all about the atmosphere like that is the ride oh yeah i feel like the whole premise of pirates like coming and invading your town and and like you know pillaging and plundering is something so like fantasy to us that it it captures like the same way Lord of the Rings like just captures your yeah. imagination like pirates just builds like a huge atmosphere the world mm-hmm. is the stage with Curse of the Black Pearl that first production is kind of sets the stage for what the productions after are kind of going to have to live up to in a way yeah yeah totally yeah and it and it sets the bar really high i mean they like they brought in a bunch of different ships. They built a bunch of fake ships that they could blow up or shoot scenes in. <laughs> yeah. They brought in, um, they didn't want to do like replica guns, like the gun that Johnny Depp's character, yeah. Jack Sparrow carries. That's, uh, that's like a real true to the time piece, uh, uh, gun gun. And yeah, then, yeah. From the 1700s. Yeah. And then even all of like the extras pieces, those, those are refurbished. Um, so like they were trying to, mm. they were trying really hard to like make this look a, a certain way. Um, and also like it's, it was just amazing how, how many people like you were saying came together to make that happen. Like this is, it, it, I think it's hard for people to understand. Like this wasn't just like. Uh, like this one guy, this one guy, you know, Gore at the top being like, oh, I want all these things. Like these yeah. were hundreds and hundreds of people like collectively coming together on a, a similar vision. And that doesn't happen often. It's amazing that it they pulled it off in this franchise as many times as they did, honestly. Yeah, well, so they filmed this at St. Vin- Vincent and apparently they brought 400 people and rented out pretty much every hotel room there. And then several hundred people from neighboring islands and the island itself came to work with them as well. Oh, <laughs> they called them up on their conches. <laughs> like, hey. Hey, they, sent, they sent them a smoke signal. <laughs> Help. <laughs> What's the Give smoke signal? Dipper. What's the smoke signal for Hollywood? <laughs> it's just a dollar sign that floats up into the air. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then a mouse head it's a dollar sign and then <laughs> <Yeah>. a mouse head <laughs> and, then, and then disney lawyers because they're coming to sue about the mouse head <laughs> oh god yeah <laughs> <laughs> hey well they threw enough money at this thing to at least get that first initial reaction from people to like extra super positive right because like this thing on Rotten Tomatoes is currently sitting at an 86% audience, 80% tomato meter. That's okay, interesting. pretty generous for the Rotten Tomato community, I would yeah, say. Yeah, I, I suppose so. Like, I don't know. It's like one of those movies that I, because that was before like Rotten Tomatoes and all that stuff. So it is interesting kind of mm-hmm. looking back at that and seeing what that score is now. Because to me, that's like right. a nine. That's a nine out of 10 movie for sure. Oh, I'd agree with you completely. And I think really what it is is because like, you're right. Like Rotten Tomatoes wasn't really a thing back then. So like these are all reviews people are giving to it like way later. Yeah, hindsight is twenty twenty. But I think what it reveals is for a lot of people, this movie is really like a childhood classic nowadays. Like it's yeah. it's aged up enough where a lot of us look back at our childhoods and fondly think of watching this movie. And I think that's really cool for, uh, you know, for these characters and for this story. And like you said, this lightning in a bottle moments, mm-hmm. it's a satisfying payoff for all of those people. Yeah. So apparently I was kind of interested in this. Apparently Jack Sparrow was, there was two different versions of him floating around when this movie was being written. And oh. one of them was like the Han Solo man's man kind of guy. And the other version of Jack Sparrow was like a the comedic, the comedic, lighthearted, like the funny, funny guy. And Johnny Depp pretty much came on set. And it it is like it could be argued that you could say that 
he should deserve a writing credit for how much he put into <laughs> Jack Sparrow. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. Yeah, I read that um, Keith Richards, uh, who ends up like playing his dad later oh, in yeah. the series, uh, was like a huge influence on his mm-hmm. character. You can kind of like feel that and just like the general like swagger. Uh, yeah, him, right? I can see that for sure. But also like with all of the improvisation that he did, like you're totally true. Like that's, yeah, you should get a writer's credit. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Another thing I thought was kind of cool is that he wore contacts, but like they were sunglasses contacts. Like they were sunglasses that he would just put over what? his eyes because he'd be filming in the sun and they would keep him from squinting. What? Yeah. That is so cool. I want a pair of those. That I know, would be great. me too. A long car ride. Oh, that'd be sick. <laughs> I wonder if they hurt though, because sometimes like those. Oh yeah, those. Yeah. Are, I'm sure it's not the most comfortable. Yarg, subscribe so you can pay for me, peg leg. Well, you know, like on the topic of Jack Sparrow, and like specifically Jack Sparrow in this Curse of the Black Pearl era, right? Mm-hmm. One, this did insane things for Johnny Depp's career, and that's crazy because he's played so many iconic characters well before he touched Jack Sparrow, yet this is the one that people have come to define his entire career under. Right. Uh, It's kind of cool because I can't think of a whole lot of other... um, times in for our generation at least where we've experienced those like holy shit earth changing uh you know performances and johnny depp like absolutely gave us one in this movie that's a very good point yeah like i can't really think of another in our lifetime other than that that just like shook the earth to its core i do wonder though like how much of that was like a trade-off between like the the writers and the character creator versus Johnny Depp contributing to the role because as his character kind of progresses and especially in the last two movies it, I don't feel that same connection to mm-hmm. him that I feel in these first three movies um and especially this first one yeah, the first one is something else entirely. Like I feel like it's I feel like it's one of those things where you get to set and this person is doing this thing with what you've created, but you have to be able to recognize that they're doing something special and that you should probably yeah. follow along with it and like collaborate with people because you could make something incredible and they did. And it and it's interesting how as the franchise becomes uh you know bigger and bigger they start investing more and more money into it it almost kind of feels like like those quirky nuances that johnny depp brings to the character became more scripted and Mm -hmm. a little more like robotic you know yeah Yeah. and it makes you kind of wonder well what what was happening in in that in curse of the black pearl you know what i mean uh versus these other movies i know that um Johnny Depp and Gore have worked together a few other times because um, uh, he, uh, Gore did uh, Rango and Johnny oh, Depp okay. voiced Rango. And then they also did uh, The Lone Ranger together, uh, which flopped. Rango was really good though. Rango is so good. Yeah. So like maybe they just had like this really good relationship. I don't mm-hmm. know. Yeah, that could, I mean, definitely, especially like the more money that they're putting into it, the more they're going to micromanage it. Even the like micromanaging Mm -hmm. the directors, like he's like the director always has people that they're answering to as well. And they've got to test to them. And the more money that's getting pumped into it, the more they're going to kind of be putting their thumb down and saying like, no, we want more of this, more of this. This is safe. This is what we're going to do kind of thing. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, I kind of suspect that's what's happening here. Just because, like, like I was saying, you can really feel how much tighter uh, mm-hmm. Johnny Depp's performances uh, kind of are forced to be as the franchise moves forward. But in this first one, he's fantastic. Carries the weight of the movie on his shoulders. Uh, he could do it all on his own. Mm-hmm. But I think also one of the biggest key components to why the first three movies of this franchise are so much better uh, is because we also have 
this Elizabeth Swan, Will Turner, yeah, and then Commodore Norrington, um, little like love triangle that forces these three uh, individuals literally like across the oceans after yeah. each other. It's such a big kind of arc for all of them that it's it's great to watch play out, and it's it's not like oh they're they're fighting now they're together now they're fighting again now they're together it's like not like that it's complex no. there's a lot of gears turning it's almost like you've got like this venn diagram right and like on one side you've got like jack sparrow and captain barbosa like fighting it out for the pearl right mm -hmm. and then like on this other side you've got the commodore norrington elizabeth swan uh will turner situation but then, like, every now and then, they intersect because now we've got, like, Barbosa after Will Turner, but he doesn't know that. He's got Elizabeth. You know, like, there's yeah. all of these, like, little ways where their circles inter interlock in just the tastiest, perfect way. Yeah, I mean, and obviously opposite of all of them is Barbosa, played by Joffrey Rush. I just love how simple Barbosa is as a character, but so complex. Yeah, and he's also one of the few characters that like shows up in every single movie. Oh yeah, that's that's something like I get I get it, but his death was so impactful that I kind of wish they didn't. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. Yeah. It will, but that's also kind of like like you're saying like his character design in its actuality is like so simple at the start. Like he kind of represents like the fantasy pirate right like yeah he kind of just like survives everything and has all of these scars and battle wounds and he's, missing he's all limbs about and... all about the treasure all about the thrill of the he's hunt exactly like he is your through and through yo-ho pirate mm -hmm. and so i do like that he's got like this nine lives kind of thing about him yeah but uh also like you said just like this you you can almost guess what he's gonna do because because of like how you know how he's playing just like that straight up pirate you can almost guess what he's gonna do but yeah. you're okay with it because he's so yeah for fucking sure entertaining well, like joffrey he, rush is just a great actor and he's a great counterpart to um to jack sparrow because because barbosa is the pirate's pirate he's out to get the loot but he's also his character in the first movie is he's trying to get back a sense of feeling. He wants to be able to feel the wind in his face and he can't feel that because he's dead and he's stuck in this eternal loop. Whereas Jack Sparrow, he doesn't really care about the treasure. He's in it for the adventure and the then the yeah. camaraderie almost. You know what I mean? Right, he, he kind of like flaunts his free spirit in front of yeah. Barbosa. Yeah, they play yeah. a great opposite to each other. Oh yeah, 100%. You've got Barbosa the like the hardened captain who runs yeah. a tight ship versus Jack, who's just kind of like literally like skipping through life, just stumbling along in a drunken stupor. Uh, yeah. And they do contradict each other. But then in, in those moments where like they come together, you see like their pirate, yeah. uh, their piratiness, <laughs> their piracy. Okay. You see their, their privates. <laughs> 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 yeah they're <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah they're really cut from the same cloth there you know <laughs> but the reason i want that character to stay dead is because his death is so impactful and that's because he was trying to feel something the entire movie and then at the end, he finally can, and he gets shot, and he says it feels cold, and he dies. And that's so ironic and impactful and beautifully written that it's like, it. I, I wish they could have just let that rest because it was so good. But I mean, it still is, you know, it's still like, you could still look at it in that self-contained thing, but, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, no, look, I, I, I'm, I, I hear what you're saying, man. I hear what you're saying, but I... Will that like end shot of Dead Man's chest when he comes down the stairs and 
Oh, so tell yeah. me, what's become of my ship? <laughs> that is one of the like damn dude. Best that's a good point. Moments ever, and uh, like, that's I a look, good point. I, I did just saying, get chills. Bro. If I'm being honest, like come on, that's a, such a good point. I <laughs> like, I, re- I, I take back everything saying. I just said. I take it back. <laughs> look, I'll defend Joffrey. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm just saying, like, you, you're totally right. Like, that that death scene of his uh, in Curse of the Black Pearl is super powerful. And it is, like, one of those, like, best, like, aha moments of the film because of the way, like, you know, the curse is lifted right as Jack pulls yeah. the trigger on his last bullet, you know. <laughs> right. It was all very, like, serendipitous, whatever. Yeah. But I... I gotta disagree in the long run because he just brings so much value to this franchise one of the smartest decisions i think they've made throughout is keeping his character involved in the story he is a great addition and he the actor is obviously so good that plays him that oh yes i i I could definitely understand that because he is he's not bad in any other movie that he's in he's a great part of every single movie that he's in that's that's what I'm saying, man. Like, yeah, Captain Barbosa, you know, you start out, he's a little salty, but at the end, <laughs> sweetie, he's a sweetheart. <laughs> gotta, gotta love Captain. He's a little Z. salty at first. You just gotta let him soak, soak out that salt a little bit. We go dormant for a little bot bi- for a little while. Flash forward, 2006, and we get Pirates of the Caribbean dead man's chest and this is really exciting because a few years have progressed cgi has improved mm-hmm. immensely in just like this short little amount of time and we get one of the most iconic characters in cinema history um uh, and i know i know you love this character mike you know exactly oh yeah for sure we're talking about <laughs> davy jones himself <laughs> oh you know it well, what was amazing about Davy Jones is was the CGI that went into him. And like these movies already have the crazy practical effects. And now like they invented a new style of CGI for this character. And it was made it so Bill Nighy was able to perform with the other actors on set rather than having to perform by himself on a soundstage. And it really just it, adds yeah. so much depth to the character and that character's relationship to the other characters on screen. Totally, especially when you're working along act alongside actors like Johnny Depp and Joffrey Rush. Like these are these are actors that you want to be able to like feed off of each mm-hmm. other. And so yeah, the, having the ability to be there on set, feeling all of that, like giving a better performance, pays off. Uh, oh, some people did not like Dead Man's Chest though. What I didn't know that because of. A darker tonal shift. Yeah, it got a bunch of criticism for not having that same lighthearted uh, adventure thrill. I know we just talked about how good the first one was, but I think Dead Man's Chest is my favorite. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, I I will respect that decision because it is a fantastic film. (laughs) It is so good. And I feel like... I feel like they absolutely raised the bar here from Curse of the Black Pearl. Like you Mm -hmm. said, they, they like tacked on this extra like... Now we've got like crazy CGI going on. Yeah. And I mean, all the insane practical effects came over and then they mixed Mm -hmm. crazy practical effects with digital effects, like the huge Kraken that tears down the boat. So they exploded that boat with explosives, but then they also filled two huge pipes with 30,000 pounds of cement and dropped them on the boat. Oh, to like replicate to replicate the the, the Kraken's boom. arms, and then they and then the the <laughs> pipes were blue, so they just made it so the pipes were the big Kraken arms, that's, and that's like that's the ship breaking like that is a practical effect. That is crazy, dude. That is so sick. Yeah, exa- it's like exactly what I'm talking about. Like this is why the I think Dead Man's Chest is one of those times where it's like, yeah, a sequel outdid. The mm-hmm. original, I think. Like, yeah, this is fantastic. Um, we also get uh the uh, the uh, the elder Skarsgård. <laughs> <laughs> we get Stellan Skarsgård as Bootstrap Bill. So the oh, I didn't know Will he was Turner, a Skarsgård. 
Jesus Skarsgård, man. You can't tell. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, like, we get this addition to Will Turner's backstory of his father, Bootstrap Bill, has actually been Mm. trapped on the Flying Dutchman under Davy Jones' control Mm -hmm. all this time. Um, And he kind of serves to be the cautionary tale of what could happen if you become a pirate. Um, But then we also have, like... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say I just love I am I love his character beat, which like is kind of part of the whole thing that uh Will Turner is trying to learn, which is like you could be a good man and still be a pirate. Yeah, exactly. Kind of like what makes Will Turner like different from all the others, mm-hmm. right? Like, uh and maybe like what makes him worthy of Elizabeth Swan's love. And right. Well that, and he know? was hating his dad pretty much the whole movie, but it's like, no, he's even though he was a pirate, like, yeah, you can be mad at him, but he was still a good man. We've got like this fantastic new layer added with like the bootstrap Bill Will Turner story. And mm-hmm. that plays out. And it's fun to see you know, what happens with Will Turner in the in the sights of Davy Jones. Um, but Davy Jones is not the only new addition of villain, villainous foe. Uh, we also have Cutler Beckett. Um, and he is kind of like posing this force of like the new world, right? And as time evolves, the world, as he describes it, becomes smaller and smaller and there's no longer room for pirates Mm. and he's kind of like this idea of like government influence you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i i I watched this amazing breakdown video that talked about this and it talked about how barbosa is jack sparrow's opposite and Davy Jones is Will Turner's opposite. And then we have Cutler Beckett, who is Elizabeth Swan's opposite. Oh, that is so true. And it kind of sets up the third movie of this trilogy really well, too, because we kind of see like all three of those people like kind of stand off with each other mm-hmm. at the end. But yeah, to have that established in Dead Man's Chest is quite the big undertaking. And we end up going to a bunch of different, uh, you know, a bunch of different sets and and experience uh, like a whole slew of new characters in Dead Man's Chest. Well, in the the character design to Davy Jones's um, um, crew is is like that's where I was thinking like this is like a horror movie almost and how they sort of like grow and they get like waterlogged into the ship. It's so incredible oh, and they're just so yeah. much love and care went into those characters and went into the sets the same that you could feel the same magic from the second to or from the first to the second for sure. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And like the whole Flying Dutchman crew is just it feels like each one of them has like their own backstory you could dive into and there would be mm-hmm. something exciting there to see. Um I read that Tim Burton actually helped design a few. Oh, of that's sick! The yeah, the the Flying Dutchman crew. Uh, that would be like that makes sense actually. <laughs> yeah, that totally makes sense. But it's so cool that like when you say like you th- you think of in your mind you're like okay a pirate demigod that is cursed to the depths of the ocean. Like what do you think of? Mm-hmm. And they just like brought it to life perfectly. So perfectly, even down to like the ship design, like mm-hmm. all of it, the way the organs kind of like like bellow out throughout the entire ship and like it's all decrepit and yeah, it kind of has like this it's like a character in itself, well, yeah, and the, the, we, you can you already know that this crew got real good at building ships by the time this third movie rolled around too, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> oh hell, yeah. <laughs> They're not messing around at that point. No. We've blown so many up. We've rebuilt them. <laughs> it's it's so crazy because like they built sh- three ships for the first one alone. Two of them they were able to actually float, and then like they just keep building more and more ships for each each movie. It's insane. 
Oh yeah. Well, and the budgets have just they just like mm-hmm. balloon every with every new installment. It's right. kind of crazy. I mean, it's the cardinal rule of Hollywood though. If if your movie makes money, find a way to make a sequel, you know? Right. So, yeah, for sure. <laughs> throw more at it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um I it is it, it cannot go without mentioning the final act of Dead Man's Chest is some of the best Pirates of the Caribbean we get in the entire franchise, mm-hmm. right? So, well, it just sets up so many problems for them to solve <laughs> in the next movie, like, so quickly. Totally. So, uh, first of all, you were talking about the Kraken earlier. We finally get to see it in all of its glory, right? As it consumes yeah. Jack Sparrow. <laughs> yeah, it's teased throughout the whole entire movie and, like, you just in your mind you're like thinking of it and you're like oh it's gonna be huge it's gonna be crazy and then you finally see it and it's just as massive and just as insane as you want it to be oh and it's so gross it's like yeah you can see saliva is just like flopping everywhere uh-huh. right um also to kind of add another layer of intricacy he's not just like like eaten by the kraken he is sacrificed by (laughs) yeah that's very true yeah 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 she she handcuffs him to that shit she tricks him into uh, uh into being handcuffed to the post by kissing him and that poses an issue because of course Will Turner is gonna watch that of course (laughs) he's gonna be watching yeah he's not happy about that and now he's very confused. He's mm-hmm. a young man full of emotion, and now he's confused. <laughs> it, it's it's all just uh, weaving a very tangled web. Yeah, it's like we're not done with this. We're going somewhere. Just like you're not like you just got to stick around and wait because we gotta we gotta wrap this movie up right now. Exactly. Like, I, and and don't you worry because it takes only but one year this time, two thousand seven, yep. and and we get uh, Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End, the conclusion to this epic trilogy. Yeah, and at World's End, especially with the big, massive set pieces, you could tell this series is sort of coming to a head as far as how much crazy money this is bringing in. Because you have this huge battle of the Black Pearl versus the Flying Dutchman. And it's like one of the most massive sound stages that was ever recorded on with like 920 feet of blue screen and a huge animatronic ship that they were able to rotate and a water system that would dump 50,000 gallons of water per minute. (laughs) It was it was nuts and all on a blue screen that they then had to go in and do some fucking crazy cgi oh magic my to it God. could you imagine if they were working with the stagecraft uh situation that uh, uh oh, star wars dude. is using that would be that fucking would be nuts insane right because a scene like that like that final epic battle in in the maelstrom is iconic bro like mm-hmm. it is so cool looking and so much happens this massive conclusion and and that's the the very end of the movie bro like so much yeah, happens that's so true before that um i i mean to kick things off like we meet back up with uh elizabeth swan and will turner and now they've reached out to the pirate king mm-hmm. of singapore and and that's where they are and it's um just this incredible set right yeah oh yeah of course all the you know all of the things that made the first two incredible there it's like all carrying over and it's like compositing into this bigger and bigger glom of like crazy crazy movie shit you know what i mean oh yeah oh yeah like gore verbinski was like i was just warming up let (laughs) me show you how i've honed my craft now because yeah at world's end is is definitely the best looking pirates Mm, movie yeah uh and i also i think this one's my favorite i love really i love that we are we start the movie with all of these problems like these impossible feats you're kind of feeling like how do these characters find 
resolution in any of this, right? Um, but somehow, by the end of the film, they've done all of that in a way that's satisfying, and you feel okay letting them go for now. You know? Yeah, that's a very good point. Since we're talking about the greatest of Pirates of the Caribbean, I have to, I, w- I was going to bring it up earlier, but I forgot. I, I have to bring up Hans Zimmer. Oh, yeah. You know, it's it's never too late to bring up Hans Zimmer, you know? <laughs> well, like, this is one of the... I mean, he has so many famous soundtracks, but this the soundtrack of Pirates of the Caribbean is massive. Everybody knows this soundtrack. It makes you think... When you think of... Pirates, aside from these movies, you think of this soundtrack. And it kind of makes you feel unstoppable. Like, you kind of hear it and you you feel like a pirate all of a sudden. You oh, know yeah, I mean? 100%. The way that he, like, di- the way that Hans Zimmer dives into each character and gives them their own themes. And, like, mm-hmm. b- he, like, brings out the cheekiness of of Jack Sparrow and, and like, the little moment-to-moment detail. But then... You get into that huge action crescendo and like the big motif that everyone knows. Like it's just it feels so incredible. It adds to it adds to the atmosphere like you were talking about earlier, just tenfold. Like and I feel like in a lot of ways, like I don't say this lightly, man. I put him up there with the likes of John Williams. Like this is this is such an iconic score. Like you could put this soundtrack and Indiana Jones next to each other, I think. Oh yeah, you could do that with the, the Harry Potter soundtrack in this. Movie. Oh and yeah, I mean, like true, true. Like all so many. Like this is just one of those soundtracks that you can just start to hum, and no matter who you're with, they could start humming <laughs> yeah. along with you, right? Yeah, like, it's excellent. It's it's you know it's it's not often that a composer breaks through the noise like that, but he really did with this soundtrack. And I know that I know that you know his his name is the one that ends up in the credits, but it was not just you know not just him. Right. It took a lot of different composers that all you know worked underneath him and and together with him to create this. Oh yeah, and he has a massive team and a massive studio, like with I mean amazing uh, players that he records with that I'm sure have their own personal flair. Like each violinist that played that main theme has their own flair on it. Oh, 100%. And I I just think that's so cool how like, uh, you know, all of these different composers can kind of just add a little, you know, a little mm-hmm. touch to, to a movie. And yet you step away and everything sounds so perfect and balanced and, and right. just belongs. Um, you can tell in a movie when it, when that's not the case you can feel yeah um and the opposite is true here you can feel that it is just exactly how it just yeah 100 percent. it's so intentional all right hans zimmer fangirling complete complete (laughs) had to get that out of the way (laughs) it might not be the only time (laughs) (laughs) no i'm sure we'll circle back we'll come back to that well yeah so at world's end um there's uh, a couple things, right? Um, Captain Barbosa, uh, he's back. He wants his ship. Captain Jack has it in Davy Jones' locker. <laughs> <laughs> there, and there's a reason that this is one of the best looking. It's because even today, it's still one of the most expensive movies ever made at $300 million. Holy shit. Well, apparently it costs a lot to vacation in Davy Jones' locker. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The whole opening sequence of them having to go rescue Jack Sparrow and the Black Pearl from Davy Jones' locker is awesome. Like, I love the whole, like, trying to figure out this, like, circular map. Like, that's Mm. intriguing to watch. And then they go through all of these different, like, really ethereal feeling, like, uh, areas. Like, the they, they, like, sail into this cave, and then on the inside of this cave, it looks all, like, stargazy. Oh, like, yeah. It's really pretty. Really gnarly looking. Um, Elizabeth Swan discovers that her... Her dad is dead. 
she sees him. Oh, um, that's right. Passing on, you know, his soul is passing yeah. on. Um, they go over that waterfall. The waterfall. Oh yeah, I remember that shot very, very particularly. Yeah, they go over the waterfall. is really crazy. Yeah, the sense of the on. sense of scale in At World's End. I mean, all of the movies have a great sense of scale, but At World's End really has a massive sense of scale, especially with that, like the waterfall scene and the mm -hmm. Black Pearl versus Flying Dutchman scene at the very end. There, so many. Even like, even like when they finally find captain jack in the in like with the black pearl and he's like down on the sand instead of up in the ship you know what i mean mm -hmm. like even seeing that perspective is yeah. kind of crazy like yeah that's oh, very yeah. true yeah and like the shot of him sailing it on the sand in in like the sand waves oh yeah that's so wicked like it's just like a crazy visual trip Mm -hmm. yeah that one is the, definitely the most trippy for sure yeah 100 percent. and then like we get onto the other side of like okay we've rescued captain jack and they go through that sequence of figuring out how do we get back to our normal land and they do like that the green the green star you know what's up is down stairs oh, up, yeah. and then they like they like rotate the ship they like <sighs> Oh yeah, I think they did. They did that practically too. I think they did that with the miniature. What? But they did that practically. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah. Yeah, so, and once we get onto like the other side of that um, part of the story here, it's like action all mm -hmm. the way till the end. It, they just start like tying up little loose loose ends. Yeah, here um, and there. Yeah, yeah. Um, we re meet Commodore Norrington. He's had a little bit of uh, a rough go of things, um, but has regained a bit of his pride by the end of the series. Of course, he dies. So, <laughs> so it's all for naught. Bummer. Bummer for him. At least he was he redeemed himself. At least he didn't die of fucking pussy. <laughs> it's all you could hope for. <laughs> Um, actually, there's something kind of cool there. Uh, so in Curse of the Black Pearl, Will Turner is the blacksmith that, that crafts oh, the sword yeah. he's gifted, right? So that's the sword that he attempts to fight, uh, fight Davy Jones with. But Davy Jones just kind of like knocks it to the side and one of his pirate hoodlums picks it up. Oh, uh huh. It reappears in that final fight scene. Oh. Where Will Turner then gets stabbed in the chest with it. Oh, right? wow, yeah. Uh, long story short, Will Turner's heart replaces Davy Jones. Oh, yeah, yeah. He becomes the new, you know, he becomes the new captain of the Flying Dutchman. Well, once he's the captain of the Flying Dutchman, now he carries that sword on his side. So that sword, in a weird way, oh, kind of wow. comes back to him. Interesting. Oh, that's an interesting little detail from the very first movie all the way through. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Yeah. Um. Anyways, R.I.P. Uh, Commodore Norrington didn't get the girl, <laughs> didn't get the glory. Became like a pseudo pirate for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> you you did a lot. You didn't really do any of them that all that great, but oh. <laughs> Um, one of, one of the things to mention too, is that all of these movies put the actors through the craziest shit, like all of them do the craziest shit. Uh, but crazy stunts, but yeah, for, uh, for this one in particular, Joffrey Rush Barbosa said that during the end, when they had that rain machine, uh, that dumped 50,000 gallons of water per minute, that was like <laughs> the last 10 weeks of shooting. And he said when his costume was soaking wet, he weighed 45 pounds extra. No. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he that had to do sucks. that for 10 weeks straight all day long. Grueling. Hey, you know, you get ripped, I bet, though. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's great, dude. How many gallons? 50,000 50, gallons? 50,000 gallons per minute. I feel like. I can't even really understand how much water that is. Like until you're getting <laughs> yeah, you'd like, have to see it. 
<laughs> smacked in the face with 50,000 <laughs> gallons of water. Fucking eight hours a day. Dude, that sucks. <laughs> well, you know, At World's End, I think, really ended up being uh, just the, the perfect way to to leave off with most of our main cast, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, like we said, they they fight it out in the end. Davy Jones, Captain Barbosa, Captain Jack, everybody's fate is kind of up in the air, and where will they all land? Well, very close to where we began, actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, will Turner ends up on board the Flying Dutchman with his dad. He's captain now and cursed to live a life at sea away from the woman he loves, except for once every 10 years, Elizabeth yep. Swan. Can't have the girl ever. <laughs> uh, Jack Sparrow, he wins back the Black Pearl. Woohoo! Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Captain well, Barbosa. And Barbosa gets his ship back too. Gets a ship of his own. We're all happy, hunky dory, sailing off into the sunset mostly. Elizabeth gets to stay at home because she's, cause she's a woman. <laughs> and that's what women did back then. <laughs> That is kind of, in my opinion, like a bookend Mm -hmm. in part of this franchise. Yeah, I mean, you could definitely tell as far as these other movies go that that was, you know, that you have, there was so much love put into it, you know, into that trilogy. I, I guess we could call it a trilogy because it really is. It's that director's trilogy. Yeah, we saw this trilogy through with one director, Gore Verbinski, and now at the end of this story, uh, where do we go? I think uh, what they decided from like a production standpoint is that this franchise could live on through the eyes of of Jack Sparrow and his adventures. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving forward, we jump into uh on stranger tides which came out in 2011 and it's interesting too because immediately like without even hearing the story you could tell that this is a more like corporatized version of these movies because there was 10 different vfx companies working on the film at the same time oh my gosh that is crazy and it's so interesting because we we were kind of like commending Curse of the Black Pearl for how many people worked on it and like it came together mm-hmm. in a unified vision. I feel like it these last two movies fall apart because of that. They feel jumbled. They don't yeah. have like like a clear uh like a reason of why they're being made. You know, there's mm-hmm. really no like in-depth story. Um it's kind of just like these standalone throwaway adventures of Jack Sparrow. Yeah, and a lot of the magic that was that was so present in the first three movies, like some of it like is comes along. Like I think at least visually, some of the like the I, I think it's at I I think it's at the end of Dead Men Tell Tell No Tale when they're fighting at the bottom of the ocean, but the ocean split in mm-hmm. two. It's like yeah, visually yeah. really pretty, but the context is just not there. The characters aren't there. The story really isn't there. And I don't know. It's just not just the magic is gone pretty much entirely. Yeah. I, I, I think it's just like we had such an ensemble cast in the first three movies and Johnny Depp does a fantastic job as Jack Sparrow and he carries these two movies uh, wholeheartedly he oh and i mean penelope cruz oh <laughs> well like let's get into that though because they introduce this other storyline of um once upon a time jack sparrow was mm-hmm. in love with blackbeard's daughter right right um, and so now we've got like a little bit of like a love interest thing happening there, but she also reveals that Blackbeard has been, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, but we also learn that Blackbeard has come to find a, this premonition of him dying. So he's mm-hmm. desperate for the fountain of youth and Penelope Cruz's character being his daughter also wants him to live (laughs) right so uh, jack sparrow's kind of like pulled along on this adventure 
But I think that's also, like, part of the problem is, like, it doesn't really make sense. Like, why now? Why? Yeah, and that doesn't feel like Jack Sparrow's adventure. It feels like an adventure he's having for someone else. Mm Mm-hmm. It feels like a a lot of really convenient decisions (laughs) to to make another movie. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And it's... And it's particularly disappointing because they take some time to like set up some really cool things with like, I like how they introduce the mermaid and I like how Mm. they bring along this priest who's now questioning, like he's having like this moral dilemma the whole time. Mm -hmm. Um, like this, this good versus bad pirate versus priest kind of thing going on. Right. Yeah, for sure. And, um, even like falls in love with the mermaid, which, I don't know how priests feel about that, but I'd imagine that they generally don't <laughs> fall in love with mermaids. How old is the mermaid? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like they they take the time to try to like build that at- atmosphere again yeah. like they did before, but then they drop it completely, let it go completely, and we move on to a whole new story. In, yeah, in, in the next chapter of this franchise. Yeah, there are, there are definitely crumbs of that inspiration. Like the, I think the introduction to the mermaids, if I'm remembering it right, is fucking dope. Um, oh. like there, it's like the crew on a small like dinghy, right? And she comes and grabs uh-huh. his wrist and pulls him under. Yeah, they're like because they they're after the mermaid tears, so they they send a few of the crew out on a little dinghy and and tell them to sing to attract the right mermaids in but mermaids in this world are vicious yeah (laughs) yeah so i mean i appreciated that and i thought like that concept was really cool but you're right the story that follows it like just does not live up to the i guess ideas behind the story yeah they they build up all this atmosphere in on stranger tides they leave it open where they could continue that storyline further with because priest dude is in love with the mermaid right mm-hmm. but nope that's it that's uh moving on that's all <laughs> we get of those characters so. yeah yeah it's I, very strange maybe it was like uh the production company's desperate attempt to turn things around because on stranger tides got a uh, a stinky, stinky 33%. Oh, shit. On the tomato meter. Yeah, this was bad. It was wow, what did what did Dead Men Tell No Tales get? Uh, Dead Men Tell No Tales got a 30. So. Wow. It's and what did At World's worse. End get? Uh, At World's End got a 44. That's so interesting that those scored so low because, like, even watching them now. I mean, I guess we just spent so long talking about it, but they're so good. But yeah, the last two were just, I could understand that for sure. Well, and like the thing about like, um, like at world's end and even dead man's chest is like critics scored it low, but audiences still really liked those movies. We break into on stranger tides and it's like across the board audiences rated it super low at 54% as well. So it, it kind of became like this, communal decision that mm-hmm. this wasn't what we wanted to see out of the pirates of the caribbean world right um so maybe that's why they just like ditched all of those characters immediately yeah. and, and decided to tell a different story <laughs> <laughs> also the director for this one uh rob marshall he's just kind of like the king of of sloppy like sequels like he did oh, the mary really? poppins returns movie oh really interesting yeah, and then he did like that like that um more modern retelling of Into the Woods, like the movie oh, yeah, retelling yeah. of Into the Woods. So it's kind of like he just kind of has like I don't know. <laughs> Not the I'm best sure tracker. like I'm sure Disney calls him with a script and they're like, "Hey, make this." And he's like, "Oh, money? Okay." okay. <laughs> like I, I yeah. don't I don't blame him. Like I'll oh I'll do I'll do something cool with a big budget, but it didn't really make sense and people mm-hmm. felt that yeah uh but that didn't stop them from making another one (laughs) (laughs) they're like hey as long as we have cool shots to tease this movie with i think we're gonna make a fuck ton of money which 
in my opinion, even though it got a lower critic rating, audiences decided this was a little better at 60%, and I agree with them. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the last installment of the franchise here came out in 2017, Dead Men Tell No Tales. Um, right. It was like a noble attempt at redemption, and it definitely had some moments that were cool. Like, I I like the whole, like, flashback of Captain Jack being younger and, like, learning about oh, how yeah. like, he, like, got the compass, like, got the Black Pearl. You know what I mean? Right. Um, And then, like, also, like, kind of served, like, this secondary purpose of, of telling us Captain Salazar's origin story, like, why he hates Jack Sparrow so much. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and it literally would go to the bottoms of the ocean to fight him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally. Uh, but at the same time, it was just another kind of like disconnected. Why are we doing this? Mm -hmm. uh, Captain Jack felt like not himself most of the time. And just like not very like. He la he didn't have his swagger, so he wasn't as entertaining. Was yeah, one hundred percent. Like I mean, we talked about it in the beginning. He was more stiff throughout these last ones. He didn't have as much. I'm sure, he didn't. They didn't have as much creative freedom as they did. Yeah, one hundred percent. And like, just like character choices that I don't know would necessarily have happened earlier on. Like, I don't believe that Captain Jack would just give away his compass for a drink. Like, yeah. I don't. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. No, I, I, I told it he would, like, find a way to just steal the drink, you know? Exactly, yeah. Like, he's a fucking pirate, and he's Captain Jack Sparrow. Like, yeah. He, he's just going to give away his magic compass? Like, that... <laughs> yeah, I don't... I, I totally agree. I don't get it. Yeah. Well, so, I guess we're here now. We have another movie rumored. What would you want that, and what would you want from it? Because the last movie leads off with a hell of a cliffhanger of a potential return of Davy Jones. Oh, that's right. Oh, man. Oh, I'm just, I'm just now remembering so much. I feel like we need to talk more about <laughs> Dead Man Tells No Tale. Because <laughs> do you remember about the, we haven't even talked about uh, Will Smith. Uh, Will Smith. <laughs> <laughs> We haven't even talked about Will Smith. Uh, no, we haven't even talked about the fact that Will Turner comes back in um, Dead Men Tells No Tales. Yeah, his curse uh, gets broken. Yeah, and it also kind of gives us this um, new character in his son, Henry, who yeah. is kind of like out there trying to find this trident to break the curse. Right. Um, and, oh, yeah. yeah, that makes sense that Davy Jones would be back then. Right, because the Flying Dutchman has to have a captain. Yeah, I don't know. That would make sense with him being back. And I, I, I'm hesitant because the way reboots and remakes are happening now, it is just not... Don't just... Just let it lie. Let it be. You know, you already mm -hmm. kind of did a couple things at the end there we didn't really like. Don't make another one. Um, but, like, I don't know. I could see if there was a team that was really inspired by the first three and really wanted to make something special and Disney was yeah. down to let them do that, then I just couldn't. I couldn't say no. I, well, I've heard that one of the directors from Dead Men Tells No Tales, uh, Johan Roning, he's rumored to be tied to this new one. Mm -hmm. So it, it would kind of make sense if they decided to, you know, further that, further that cliffhanger in another movie. Right. And we had like a, a return of the Will Turner, Elizabeth Swan. I guess now with the addition of Henry, their kid. Yeah. But I, you're right, bro. Like the reboot thing, I. I almost wish that they would like maybe just like leave leave Will and Elizabeth at home and <laughs> let Henry go off on an adventure and just focus more on 
on building really good characters to tell yeah. another a, a new story. It's all, it's even Let's, like fuck it, like make another story set in that same universe but separate from all the characters. You know, like it doesn't have to be. You could yeah. you, people like audiences get that now. You could do that. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. And I think that they've established enough times that there are many places in this world we've yet to see and yeah. many characters that we have yet to meet many curses um, and monsters we haven't heard of or seen exactly like uh we just have to be brave enough to try to tell a, a new story mm-hmm. um and, and i think that's really the kicker here is we're talking a big big budget production are they brave enough to break away from the mold of what they know will sell a ticket to right. tell a new story? I think it's worth the risk personally. I do too, but if they will do it or not, that is to be seen. Yeah, I, I'm not holding my breath the way things have been going, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> no, no, neither am I.